0: listening to the weekly sermon from Antioch East Baptist Church located in Magnolia, Arkansas. For more information about our faith and local congregation visit AntiochEast.com. Turn to Romans chapter 1. I can't tell you how excited every preacher worth his salt is excited to teach through the great gospel book of Romans. And so let's read together Romans chapter 1 and we'll begin reading verse 1 and I'm going to ask you to stand in reverence to the reading of God's word. Paul a bond servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through this through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we introduced the book of Romans last week. I gave you my introduction. This week, I'm preaching Paul's introduction to the book of Romans. It is the introduction of the book, all right? Uh, The preface, if you would, verses 1 through 7, is Paul's introduction and greeting to the book of Romans. In these seven verses, you nearly have the whole book in a nutshell, He kind of gives the outline of the rest of the book is what he does. An old teaching rhetoric lesson for teachers is you should tell them what you're going to tell them. That's your introduction. Then tell them. That's your teaching. And then tell them what you told them. That's your conclusion. Uh, sometimes I do that, sometimes I don't, but that sounds good. Uh, that's what you would do. Somebody has said the, the, in teaching the great, uh, that greatness is the willingness to be repetitious of the obvious. <clears throat> and uh, Peter thought that. He said, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you again. I've already told you. And when I die, I'm leaving people here to tell you again after I'm gone. That's what he said in his book. So, so that's what it is. Besides that, don't we love the old, old story? I love to tell the story for those who know it best. Seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory we sing a new, new song, it'll just be the old, old story that we've loved so long. Well, anyway, I gotta go on. We find a phrase in the very first verse. That, that we don't use like we ought to. And it's this phrase, the gospel of God. And that's the title of my lesson this morning in my sermon is the gospel of God. It's the same thing as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul even called it his gospel. God thought it, Jesus bought it, the Holy Spirit wrought it, the Bible taught it, Satan fought it, but praise God I caught it. Amen, I like that. And that's what it is. It's the gospel. It's God's gospel that he, it is his plan and his gospel. And it is through his son, Jesus Christ, and it has come to us. This text here tells us three ways to view the gospel. Three ways to view the gospel simply. Number one, it tells us that the gospel is a promise. It's a promise Let me tell you something. The New Testament is not plan B. It's not that God said, you know, I want to do that stuff to those Jews. I want to do that. And I wanted wanted them to be a blessing to all nations. And and they were going to establish a kingdom. And through them would flow all the blessings of God to all the world. But they blew it. I'm going to have to scrap and start over and, and get another plan. No, my friend. The plan of God from the beginning was the cross of Jesus Christ. Not from Adam, but from eternity past. It's always been his plan. God knew that anything not like him was bound to fall. And he was going to have a people. And he was going to save a people. How many of y'all believe that God is omniscient? The Bible says that God is all-knowing. Therefore, he is all-powerful and so on and so forth. God has never learned anything. Never learn anything. We'll talk about that here in just a minute when we talk about his foreknowledge. God has never looked down through time to see what anybody would do and then made his plans accordingly. No, sir. This is not plan B. The gospel has always been in the mind of God because let me tell you something. From the very beginning, men were sinners. There is no lamb that could save you from your sin, only the perfect lamb of God. It is a promise. Look at verse 2 which he promised before through his prophets, through his prophets. You say, Brother Ron, who is his prophets? Well, to the Jews, the prophets was anybody that wrote and spoke for for God between Genesis and Malachi. David was a prophet. Moses was a prophet. The whole Old Testament is the law and the prophets. You take your Bible and from Malachi back to Genesis, you cut this Bible anywhere and it still bleeds the blood that stained the old rugged cross. It's all about him. In Genesis, when God saw that, his, that Adam and Eve had sinned and they tried to cover themselves with their own works through the fig leaves, of course, that was not sufficient. It is God that killed an animal. We assume that, we have to assume this because he covered them with skins. What was this? It was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And Satan, he cursed Satan. He said one day, he said, Satan, you will bruise the seed of woman. He was not saying the seeds of woman. He wasn't talking about all people. He was talking about Jesus, but he will bruise your head. And every book in the Bible, you can find it. The prophets, now listen, listen to this, through his prophets in the holy scriptures. In the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. Now listen, he promised. What's that word promise mean? It means to announce with certainty in advance as to what one will do. Listen to Ezekiel. Listen to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. What is that? That is a stating of the new covenant in the Old Testament. He said basically the same thing to Jeremiah. Now that's the gospel. He promised a gospel. He said, "I'm going to sp- sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean." This is clearly not talking about the lambs and the goats and the calves that were were sacrificed at the tabernacle and the temple. This is talking about something different. And you can go to any prophet, nearly in every book in the in the Old Testament, and see a picture and sometimes just an outright prophecy of the Messiah that would come to deliver his people. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic do- Gospels. See, I can't even hardly say it. And, uh, but anyway, so what does that mean? The word synoptic means to speak the same. And they're very similar in how they present the life of Jesus. John is the Gospel of belief. It's very different. It doesn't talk about his birth. It talks about how he's the God that has always been. And it's just very different. Well, turn to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53. It is, the, it is the fifth gospel. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. And as a root out of the dry ground, he has no form nor comeliness when we see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men. Now, wait a minute. The Jews are saying, Isaiah, what are you talking about? This is something different. The Messiah was supposed to come on the scene with a mighty hand and overthrow the enemies and set up the kingdom of Israel forever and ever. But he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we, not the Gentiles, we did not esteem him. Surely he has, listen, borne our griefs. (laughs) he has carried away our sorrows and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. Let that sink in, my friend. A lot of people want to blame the Jews for the death of Jesus and some people say, no, it was the Romans that actually killed Jesus. I'll tell you what, you killed Jesus. Jesus. He died for your sin. But my friend, the most important thing is that God killed Jesus. It is God that poured his wrath on him so that he wouldn't have to pour it on you. That's how he bore our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted, but he was wounded. Why did God do this? He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for Ron's iniquity. Put your name there. The chastisement for Ron's peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep, we go astray. We turn everyone to our own way, but the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This is not a New Testament book, people. This was written 500 years before Jesus came. Came on the scene. How can the Jews reject him? He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before a of our shears of silence, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from the prison and from judgment. And who would declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord. Listen, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was put, he put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seat. Now listen, I love this. Now you listen. There's no question mark. God's not up in heaven said, I wonder if this plan will work. Oh, my friend, it all is working according to every little niche of his plan. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his day, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, he shall see the labor of his soul, and he will be satisfied by the knowledge of my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spool with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, he was he was crucified right between two thieves, wasn't he? and made intercession for the transgressors. He died between two thieves, but he was dying for this sinner right here. Amen. See, it isn't anything new. It's been God's plan from the beginning, and he preached it even in, the, in the prophets in the holy scriptures. Well, let me go on. Number two, the gospel of God is a person. The gospel of God is a person. Say amen. Amen. Y'all know where I'm going, don't you? (laughs) This is good. I mean, if you don't at least rustle in your seat, something's wrong with you, all right? This is good stuff. The gospel of God is a person. Look at verse 3. He's talking about the gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised before through the prophets of the Holy Scripture concerning, here's the object, his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God. Verse six: Among whom also are the call. You are the called of Jesus Christ. Verse seven: Last part. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is a person. <laughs> well, I'm already excited. Ham said then, concerning his son. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, let me give you what we just read. Number one, he says he is the seed of David. He is the seed of David. We've already talked about that. Jesus came and he was born of a virgin and he lived a human life. He, he got tired like we did. He had to eat like we have to. He had to drink. He had to do all the... He was human like we were, yet without sin yet without sin. He was born of a human mother without a human father. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. That's what the Bible says, and I believe it. Isaiah 11, one through five, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in, by the way, that's seven spirits, It's really one spirit, the Holy Spirit, but He's shown in completeness by the seven different areas by which He is the Holy Ghost. And Jesus is full of him. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. God said this several times in the Old Testament that David will never want for someone to sin upon his throne you said to oh, brother Ron, there hadn't been a king in Israel in, in 2,000 years. oh yes, there is. you haven't seen the throne yet but it is literally in heaven and Jesus is literally sitting there at the right hand of God. And my friend, he will come and establish a kingdom on this earth. I think that it will eventually be torn down and and melt away, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. My friend, Jesus is reigning now, and he evermore shall be. Through the line of David he came, carried in the vessel of a virgin maiden, conceived of the Holy Spirit, the divine Son of God, became the Son of Man with a human sinless body. He is of the seed of David. He has every right to sit upon the throne of Israel. Number two, the Bible tells us in these verses he is the Son of God. I like that verse uh, 4a says he's been declared the Son of God. How was he declared the Son of God? Well, he tells us by what he did with his life. Look at this, verse 4. Let me see. And he declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. The Spirit of holiness is just another way of saying the Holy Spirit. And he did this. The Bible says that when Jesus, it was ready for him to start ministering, that he went and was baptized of John the Baptist and the Spirit of God came and dwelt on him. He came down as a dove and a voice was heard from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from that time for the next three years, Jesus taught like no man has ever taught. Say amen. Jesus walked like no man ever walked. Say amen. And Jesus healed like no man ever healed say amen and Jesus died in our place and then of his own accord he rose from the dead I'm getting a little ahead of myself there but that's what it means that he is declared with power with power John 10, 31 through 38 says, Then the Jews took up stones against, <coughs> again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because, now listen, you being a man make yourself God. They knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. Now, he does a little trick with words here. I don't have time to explain all, but I will a little bit. Verse 34, and Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's little g, little God's? And if he calls them gods to whom the word of God came and the scriptures cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, set apart, made holy, and sent into this world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Now let me tell you what he's saying. He says, listen, you you don't believe that I'm the Son of God. Believe my works. Look at what I've done. No one has ever seen sight restored and Jesus was giving everybody he ran into that was blind sight back. He was healing those who were deaf. Men whose arms were clearly withered, skin and maybe sinew and bone, Jesus was supernaturally putting muscle underneath that skin and their arms would stretch out. And he comes to Bethany and sees his own family weeping over his friend, Lazarus. And he goes to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. And up from the dead, he came. No one did miracles like this. And John said of him, if all the things that Jesus did were written in a book, the worlds could not contain the libraries. He's declared to be the Son of God by power. All right, I'll go on. By what he did in his life, but then secondly, by what he did in his death. By what he did in his death. Also, he was declared to be the Son of God, listen, by the resurrection from the dead it's one thing to have the power to raise someone from the dead it's another thing to have the power to raise yourself from the dead how did he do that he's God he's God that's clearly the point Of his own accord, he brought life back into his body. He rose alive and lives forevermore. Number three, not only is he the the seed of David, the son of God, but he's also the savior of mankind. Verses three, verses six, and verses seven, call him Jesus. Jesus, we love that name. We sing songs about it. And we well should. Why? Because the name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. He is not only the Savior of mankind, the seed of David, the Son of God. He is the sanctified of God. He is Jesus Christ. Or what, how they would have said it back then was Jesus the Christ. Back then it was not part of his name. It became part of Jesus' name even by the end of the New Testament. But before it was a title, Jesus the Messiah. That's what it meant. The word Christ is the word for Messiah. It actually literally means anointed or to be set apart. It means to be sanctified unto a holy work, and Jesus was that. He was the anointed of God, the set apart of God, the Messiah of God. Many times Old Testament, uh, the word for Messiah is used of priests. Why? Because they were anointed as priests and prophets and kings. And it was a symbol of setting apart, of sanctifying them for a sanctified work that they were called to. And Christ is the sanctified of God. He is the sovereign God. He is the sovereign God. Jesus Christ, our Lord. I always say that all the time. We said, say, Lordy. We really shouldn't do that. That's taking God's name in vain. He's the Lord. You know what that means? That means you don't disobey Him and you do what He says to do. You hate the things He hates and you love the things He loves. You act the way He says to act and you don't act the way He says don't act. He is Lord, he's the boss, he is sovereign, he's the one that rules, he is the one that reigns, by him all things are and they exist and all the other, he is God Almighty because he is Lord. Jesus said to the rulers in John eight fifty eight. most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, and this is Jesus, he said, I am. Shocking, shocking, shocking. Jesus wasn't just saying, I'm the Son of God. He was saying by that, I am Yahweh. That's what that is. I am Yahweh. I am God. Then they took up stones to throw at him but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. They knew Jesus was claiming the proper name of God therefore because they did not believe in him they wanted to stone him but my friend if they could have understood if they would not have been steeped in their own fleshiness and sinfulness even the God they claimed that they believed in they didn't care anything about all they cared about was them their thing, their religion, their status. Them, they didn't care about the sinners. They didn't care about the Gentiles. They didn't even care about the Jews. But my friend, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is not asking to be Lord. Hear me. He is Lord. And all of your disobedience will be dealt with humble yourself to God and call upon the the gospel of God to save you from your sin and let Jesus deal with it for you. That's the good news. That this Lord that has been disobeyed over and over again offers forgiveness by taking your place on the cross. The gospel of God is a promise. The gospel of God number two is a person let me tell you about that person. He is the seed of David, just like God said he would be. He is the son of God. He is the savior of all mankind. He is the sanctified and separated of God, and he is the sovereign God. Come to him today. Trust him today. He said, "Brother Ron, I want that. I'm ready to bow the knee. Brother Ron, I want to be saved." I want to believe the gospel of God, then you can. It's simple. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Well, my friend, your problem today isn't money, it isn't finances, it isn't medical, it isn't Bible knowledge. Your problem today is your sin. And your sins have separated from God and there's only one place to get that fixed. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Far dearer than all that the world can impart was the message that came to my soul, how that Jesus alone by his grace did atone and Calvary covers it all. Calvary covers it all. My past with my sin and shame, my guilt and despair, Jesus took on him there. And Calvary covers.